0: All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. This time of year, things come slowly into perspective for many of us in the United States. We see school children starting school in waves from August until the first week of September. Teachers starting a stressful journey through a year of data delights and parents doing everything they can to provide for their children. We also come upon a horrible anniversary in our history. The actions of the last few days have been hard for me to truly read or watch on the news. Seeing the enemy take over and brutalize the people we fought for is disheartening to say the least. I personally have lost parts of my inner soul in Afghanistan. I have lost friends. I remember when I first went in and I saw all in front of me as savages. They could not be good people. Then in June of 2012, they tried to snuff the rooster. I was down but not out. I fought to come back. And when I did, perceptions had changed. Many of those I was working with were rallying up to find those who did this to me. They became our brothers. They became a fighting force that we helped to mold. It taught, taught me to find the good, to see that shining light. While I have anger brewing in the pits of my the soul that remain, I know we will find the good in this. In life, we make on-the-spot decisions over and over again about a person, a place, or a thing. What this new world we live in has taught us, when there is instant fame for a person for doing something, or on the other hand, instant shame or canceling due to a belief if a disagreement equals war, we need to step back and look at the entire picture. When a young woman or man starts a journey to become an athlete, they become... A sacrifice to themselves They sacrifice their childhood They miss out a lot of the fun things That you could do as a kid They also miss out on learning lessons As they go up besides that art That they're becoming awesome at Then when they turn 18 or maybe 22 They join the pro ranks They get that big paycheck And are expected to be a role model To the next generation When in reality they are just learning Who they are and how to be themselves Our next guest has shown us empathy and compassion while working with football players on TV to get them to focus on the big picture of being a student and an athlete. She is an inspiration and is now motivating many others. So without further ado, let's get Miss Brittany Wagner, star of seasons one and two of the Netflix series Last Chance You and author of the upcoming book Next Chance You on here. And I've seen uh one of your first uh, I guess a uh, book days are is in Athens, Georgia. isn't that the enemy for you?
1: Well, you know, I guess when you're a Mississippi state fan, no one's the enemy because okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're no one's competition um, <laughs> you don't really play Georgia a whole lot, so yeah, and I actually uh i i we haven't really announced it yet, but old mess just booked me
0: as well and Ole Miss oh, is yeah. an enemy so that's deep enemy there wow
1: I know I'm surprised they booked me actually I thought they won't book me just for spite but yeah
0: <laughs> well that's awesome and uh, I mean right after I asked you to be on the show I actually went back and watched Last Chance you and I've seen the whole both both your seasons and the next two crazy seasons uh but I think your two seasons was probably the best Uh, from ground up football and seeing from your side, how you were able to deal with the emotions of the players and try to keep them, I guess, academically straight. And that was a, that was a rough job. How did you uh, maintain your sanity doing that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that you, you keep the end goal in mind and you know, it's not, it's, it's one day at a time. It's one class at a time. Sometimes it's, Um, and you, you know, sometimes you can't take any of it too seriously. Um, it's a balancing act for sure, because the one person that needs to be sane in that situation is the, the academic counselor. And, you know, a lot of days I was the one squishing the stress ball and like wanting to pull my hair out at the same time.
0: (laughs) Thanks, please, they didn't even put that stuff on TV for you.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: They showed that it a few times. That made it on the cutting room floor, I guess.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They showed they showed a few scenes that I thought, oh, man, I could have handled that better.
0: I know they had the one like they were in your face and as you were driving someplace. That one that you were bubbling up at that time, too, is I think right after the, the cursing on the field incident. So yeah. you, had to, you had to maintain your cool with a camera, I guess, probably four inches from your face.
1: Yeah, the car rides were tough because to, <laughs> most of them were at like six thirty, seven a.m.
0: for one,
1: um, or either on my way home, which was, you know, after a day of them being in my face all day long, I just wanted to be by myself, so... Those car rides, plus it's a terrible angle and <laughs> extremely <laughs> too close. So yeah, those car ride filming sessions were not
0: fun. I bet, and I'd probably have to keep putting my hand up at the camera the whole time just to get it away from me. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's not a. Uh, that's not an option. <laughs> <It
0: wasn't. laughs> I guess I'd be fired. <laughs> <laughs> So what made you, uh, you started your nonprofit as well, right? And then you start and then you wrote the book or you did both at the same time?
1: No, well, I have an LLC, which is 10,000 Pencils. Um, I started it in 2017. I started 10,000 Pencils right after I left the show. Um, and basically, that's what I've been doing is that for the last you know couple of years and so that that company allows me to to work for myself and to travel around the country and work with teachers and coaches and administrators all over the country. Um, pretty much the philosophy of Ten Thousand Pencils is just that the the people that we teach or counsel, the people that we're in front of, are people. And I think sometimes in education we get bogged down in the statistics and in the data and In sports, we get bogged down in the in the statistics and data and numbers. And we tend to forget that, you know, these are human beings and they're coming into the situation with their own life experiences. And those experiences are going to um, allow them to respond to things in different ways. And so that's really the philosophy of Ten Thousand Pencils is going in and preaching the message of let's work on meeting the social and emotional needs of the students that we're working with first and then worry about the statistics and data and the actual learning after we have we know the students and we've met their social and emotional
0: needs. I really think that is lacking now, and like you said, data is the big, that's the big target for every administrator right now. That's all they want to see is data, 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 and it's data that's like right now after almost two years of students not really learning anything because of COVID, now they want the data to be high and then in the face of the teacher, my wife's a teacher and she just comes home just stressed out of her mind right now. And this is only the third day of school.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've got so much pressure and so much emphasis on test scores when the reality is, you know, students coming in with life stressors with, with homelessness or they're hungry or their environment that they're living in is not safe, or they're just, maybe there's too much pressure. Maybe their outside life is great, but the pressure on them to perform is, is too much. And, you know, we, we're, we're skipping over all of that and then expecting everyone to sit in a desk, be quiet, be still and, and, and learn this and then regurgitate it for a test. Um, and, and we're holding our teachers accountable for test scores when they're doing so many great things and and putting out so many fires and uh, and loving these kids in such great ways, but yet we reprimand them for a test score, and so I, I think we've we've missed the mark a little bit on the rubric for how we're grading um, our teachers and just our education system as a whole.
0: Exactly, and I, I think it's going to be come back and bite us. And then with that, well, this generation that's going through school right now is going to be that litmus test as we're kind of just pushing them for numbers and not pushing them to be people, to learn how who they are as we learn who they are and get them to build that successful life along with the education. And I think we're failing them right now.
1: Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. I think this younger generation, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm kind of proud of them. I think this younger generation has a better ability to question things and to ask questions and to say like, no, wait a minute. Um, you know, my mental health is important or I'm important and what I'm going through is important. And I think sometimes I think it's us, it's the older generations that don't quite know how to deal with that. Um, you know, you take the Olympics, for example, and Simone Biles and, and, you know, and her take on her own mental health and, and how, you know, how, how surprised we were, I guess when it happened and you look at it and it's like, wow, we've lost, we've lost touch with reality. If we're shocked that an athlete who's the greatest of all time under that much stress and pressure that's been through that much at that age, if, if we're shocked that she's having some mental health issues, then, you know, I think we're out of touch um, I, and, I, I, you know, I hope that this younger generation continues to speak up and continues to say, you know, wait a minute, I matter, um, because I think that's important.
0: Definitely. When, and when she did that, and i seen so much hate come out on on social media, and even in our office, people were hating, uh, saying hateful things about her. And I just said, when we went to war, we we're all retired soldiers. I said, you think our heads were straight when we were at war? Our, our job was to do something no one wants to do in life to go out there and face someone trying to kill you and having to do the same to them. If, if we had to ever say, Hey, I I can't do this, then we would look weak. So I know everyone in this room here is not as strong as you think you are because you had those thoughts while you were there, but you were afraid to say anything. I said, this young lady just took a knee. She took a knee and said, I need me time to come back strong. She already represented us. She's, she's an amazing young woman. And she's going to come out the other side even better. And, I don't think a lot of people understood that.
1: Yeah. I, I think we hold sometimes athletes to a standard that's not realistic or really not fair. Um, you know, they are human beings and, and there is a lot of pressure on their bodies and on their mind for what they have to do at the, at the level that they have to do that. And I, you know, I think we've almost made them into superhuman creatures that we don't, we won't allow, you know, to not be real. And that's, <laughs> That's not fair. And you're right. In, in a lot of ways, we hold vet, veterans to that same standard. In a lot of ways, we we hold, um, you know, our firefighters and our policemen and people that are putting their lives in danger to protect the rest of us. I think a lot of times we hold teachers in that standard of, you know, you don't you don't get to ha- break. You know, you don't get to have a moment because we've got you've got to educate these people or you've got to fight this fire, or protect these. Individuals, and I think you know, we need to understand that we're all human. No matter what our our job is, our career is, or our specialty is, we're all human.
0: Right, and that that should come first. And a lot of, with athletes, especially most of them, even when they make it to the pros, they're only twenty one years old. Yeah, they all they've done their whole life is work on being that athlete. They've really missed out on a lot of other things in their life up to that point, and now you're expecting them to be a role model to someone that's 12 years old or nine years old and they really don't even know how to be 12 years old or nine years old because at that age all they were told to do was be the best athlete they could
1: right yeah you know you think about you know these these college athletes that are that are thrown into their professional ranks and 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 how young they are and how little they've been really prepared for that life I mean I used to you know, I would have athletes that at the four year level would would be even at a university as a as a sophomore or a freshman and not really understand how to pay bills. You know, they didn't understand. They never lived on their own. They didn't know like how to have a budget. And so they would get their scholarship check. And within the first week of getting it, they had spent it. They'd cashed it and they had spent all of it. Not thinking through the process of like, oh, wait a minute, I have to save this to pay my bills because they had never been made to do that. They'd never been taught how to do that. And so, yeah, you think about these professional athletes and how young they are and they're thrown into a new environment They're thrown into a completely new life for the first time they have money. There's a pressure to perform or they'll be fired. They've got a bandwagon of people, you know, trying to get a piece of them. And it's a tough, stressful life for anybody. And at 18 or 19, I don't, you know, I don't know that I would have even known how to navigate a situation like that. And I, well, and I had all the support and resources that I needed.
0: And I'm sure I didn't, I know I didn't, I made a lot of mistakes when I was 18, 19. And it wasn't until I actually went in the army where I realized how to, how to adult and <laughs> how to survive on my own. And it took me 22 years to together that my kid, my favorite kid job. and And now I'm in my adult job and, it's a whole different world out here. So,
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure.
0: And like you said, when we give the, these young young men and women, they wind up, well, women don't get paid as well, but they do get paid something. Uh, the men get paid millions of dollars just to sign that first contract to go in the NFL, and all of a sudden, like you said, the bandwagon, the entourages are there mm-hmm. trying to bleed everything out of them as possible, because so they're not going to say no. They don't want to leave their buddies behind, and all of a sudden now everyone's broke if he gets hurt or she gets hurt. And it, it becomes a landslide of third-order effects.
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough life for sure, and um, tough on their mental health. And I think you know, it's it's been a long time coming that we start kind of putting some some resources and some energy into helping these athletes in a different way.
0: Definitely. All right, so let's let's get on to the subject of your book. Uh, it comes out in uh, what oh, two weeks now? I think three weeks.
1: Oh my gosh. I don't, yes. I, something like that. It's like 26 days or something. I'm now counting by the days instead of weeks. Um, it's not, it's not long and I'm so excited about it. I'm ready to get it out there. Um, I, I really, you know, just, I had so many emails after the show came out so many people and emailing me saying, look, you know, you inspired me or, you know, in this episode, when you said this, or when you did this, um, man, it affected me, it it changed, changed me in some way. Or, or people saying if I had you and I had had your advice, when I was that age, or, or even now, you know, I would, I would do this, or I would be better at this. And I just kept getting these emails over the years where I was figuring out that I was inspiring and motivating more than just athletes that I was working with and so I started kind of just thinking about okay well how can I take the lessons that I was trying to still instill in the athletes and the lessons that they taught me how can I how can I package these and put these together and package them so that all these people can, can see it, can read it, can, they can ha- all these people that say, well, if I had had you in my life, I would have been able to do this. How can I help them do that? Like, how can I let them have me in their life in some way? And so this concept for this book came about, um, and I just started taking the life lessons that I had learned and that, that I was trying to instill in the athletes and creating chapters out of them. And so that's what happened and that's where we are. And, uh, the book, we, then we took all of those lessons and we were, we were debating titles and I always struggled with the concept of last chance. You, I thought it was an amazing title. I loved it. I thought it was so catchy and great, but I think deep down, I struggled with the, the notion that we were selling that, that people had a last chance and that if you didn't succeed, you know, in this one shot, then you're a failure. And I struggled with that because I think I was always trying to instill in the guys that you're you not a failure and you're not your worst mistake. And, you know, you always have an opportunity to be better. And then here we have this show that we're on and it's called Last Chance You. And I struggled with that a little bit. And so I, when I, when we decided to write the book and I was writing the book and putting all these concepts together, um, the title, I, I just thought, OK, I, I want to get away from the last chance thing because I don't believe in it. I believe that nobody's on their last chance and that everybody absolutely has an opportunity to get up every day and be better than they were the day before. And so that's where the title You" came out, um, which I love. I think it's so, so appropriate. Um, I love the name of it. And I think that it's inspiring to to know that. Absolutely. No matter where you are in your life, no matter what you're going through, or what you've been through, you have an opportunity to wake up and get up and be better than you were yesterday. And I think the book goes through 11 chapters of of takeaways of maybe how to do that. Um, there's, you know, s- inspirational stories of athletes. There's inspirational stories of my of my own life. And it really is an, an effort to try to motivate and inspire everybody to be better than they were the day before.
0: That's amazing. Cause a lot of people forget that you're not really judged on how many times you fall down. You're judged on how many times you get back up. And that's exactly what you just said with the next chance. You, if you wake up in the morning, you make your bed. That's the first victory of the day. Right. You just won something. Now, now go to the next task. You eat a bowl of Cheerios. You did that too. Keep moving. You had little victories during the day. And by the end of the day, you've made a smart goal and did something right all day long and you are a good person. You're doing great things.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, you know, sometimes we feel like we're, we feel stuck and we may feel stuck and the feeling of being stuck may be real, but you know, I'd say it in the book that a lot of times our feelings are real, but the stories we make up surrounding the feelings are not. And so we may feel stuck, but we're not stuck. And sometimes the end goal seems so overwhelming And, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about just one day at a time, one one step at a time. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned making your bed because I talk about I tell a story about myself and and how I was in a, a counseling session with a therapist when I was working at East Mississippi because I was so stressed out and overwhelmed with my job and being a single mom. And my and my therapist was walking through my day and I was talking about how. You know, I, I get home from work and I walk in the door. And when I walk in the house, it's like all over again at the fact that I'm, you know, I have to do everything in my house. And, and so then I felt like I wasn't being the best mom I could be to my child. And my therapist said, OK, when you walk in your door, what's the first thing you see? And I said, well, actually, my back door, it, it, there's a straight shot view to my bedroom. And so the first thing I see is my unmade bed which reminds me of my hectic morning, the chaos, you know, of trying to get my child out to school in time and trying to get to work and it's chaotic and it's crazy. And I'm going into this day and this job that's stressful. And I said, so I get, I get home and that's the first thing I see. And he said, okay, well, let's try this for a week, wake up 10 minutes earlier and make your bed every day. And and then when you walk in the door He said, just just focus on what you're going to see when you walk in the door and make sure that that area that you're going to see when you walk in that back door is clean, is neat, is, you know, relaxing. And that when you walk in the door, the first thing you'll see will calm you rather than stress you out. Let's try that for a week and see what happens. And so I did. I mean, this simple step of just making my bed every morning ended up changing my night, which is which is, you know, crazy. Um, but it, but it did, it changed the, my, the, my night cause I would walk in my house and I would see this neat, organized, put together space and it would, and I would be like, Oh, I, you know, I can do this. I, I, I got this. And, um, you know, and I talk about that in the book of like, what is the one thing you can do in your own life to kind of, to quote unquote, make your bed, you know, what's your make your bed moment. Um, and cause I think we all have have things like that that trigger us to then spiral out of control so how can we how can we make our bed you know how can we eliminate some of the triggers
0: exactly and that that summed it up right there you can come home and you see that bright spot like for me I hate uh dishes in the sink so if if I go to bed and they're in the sink I wake up in the morning I'm just gonna be angry so I might as well do it before I go to bed or at least get them in the dishwasher so I don't see them so that's one. Right. That's like yeah. my biggest pet peeve. I may not be the best cleaner in the house, but I'll make sure something happens. Yeah. So that, that, that's that's one victory. And there I you go. We all have it. Yeah, and everyone, like you said, you you walking in that back door and and seeing it's like a shining light for you. It's like a, the aura as you look into your 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 happy place there. Oh, I, that's beautiful. I made that this morning, and now I'm in peace again right now, and that's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, I think the book is full of little, little useful nuggets like that, that I hope people can take away. And, and then it starts to change the course of each day, which, and then, then change kind of starts to change the trajectory of their life.
0: So where can, where will it be available? It's going to be in, is it going to be in bookstores or just be Amazon or everywhere?
1: It will be everywhere. Um, it is right now available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and Books a Million for pre-order. But once September seventh gets here, um, it will be available on all on all um, outlets on the internet, and then also bookstores everywhere as well. Um, it, I also it's it will be available as an Audible book as well. I I actually recorded it as the narrator, so. It'll be my voice, um, reading the pages to you. I guess if you get the audible version,
0: awesome. Yeah, and it is also um,
1: available overseas in other countries as well. So, I hope everyone can get their hands on it.
0: <laughs> it sounds like an amazing uh piece. It it's it's your new baby coming out now, about to be born in a couple weeks. So you have a big uh big party about to happen, and uh, hopefully you have a good uh book tour to go around the country and visit other people talk about your book and talk about what you do for them with your other venture in 10,000 pencils.
1: Yeah, we are trying, you know, we're, we're fingers crossed that COVID um, (laughs) doesn't ruin things for us, but right now we are, we are putting together a book tour, um, a small book tour and um, we've got some fun things planned to get the word out, lots of interviews and um, media for that. So I'm excited. I'm excited to, be out again, um, in other places and be able to meet fans, you know, um, hear their stories, shake their hands, give them a hug. That was always the fun part of this whole thing in the first place was just meeting people and seeing their faces. Um, so I hope we get to actually do this book tour the way that we want it to. And I get to see everyone live. If not, then we will do as many virtual things as we can. We actually have one tonight. We have a virtual um, live chat tonight on talk shop live where we will be selling autographed copies of the book. So if COVID prevents us from actually putting, getting the whole tour out there, we'll, we'll do some live events.
0: Awesome. Uh, and I hope you do get to do live events and I hope uh, COVID kind of starts Uh, going well it's not going to go away it's going to be here forever but uh, hopefully things open up enough where people can see people and be happy again and actually be happy enough to go out there and see you and hear your message and and learn from your lessons in your book and gain that knowledge to move forward in their lives
1: yeah i i really want to I want to be on the road. I want to be on the road the entire month of September and the entire month of October. Uh, I you want know, to, I want to go out and see the book on the bookshelves and see people picking it up. Um, you know, that's, there's, that's rewarding and exciting for me. And then um, every time I meet a fan and hear a story. I mean, it, it, it shapes me in some way. So that's the plan
0: is <laughs> to do and that. I, and I hope it all works out for you. Thank so you. If, if you have any advice you can give someone that maybe is doing what you did before as an academic uh, counselor or going through anything right now, what kind of advice would you give them right now just to get them a positive momentum going forward?
1: You know, I think one piece of advice that was always Um, really big for me in my life. And and I think at a young age, it it made me mad. It was advice that made me mad. (laughs) But I realized that it was really good advice is my dad used to say I would call him he's a he's a psychologist. So I would call him and, and vent and want, you know, his deep psycho psychological advice. And, and a lot of times he would he would listen to me. And then he would say, you know, Brittany, hold on, just hold on. Like just, just breathe, just sit, like sit still for a a minute or two minutes or or a week or two weeks or a month, but just, (laughs) you know, and he would say like, this, this will pass. Like nothing is permanent. Everything is temporary, but sometimes in life we just need to hold on. And I think that was really great advice. Uh, You know, it helped me to learn how to respond rather than react you know, how to stop and breathe and take a minute and how to really to think about, is this a situation that is going to be long-term or is this a short-term situation that I'm blowing out of proportion? Um, You know, it helped me to just kind of get things in perspective. And so I think in these times, this, and this time of the year where it's back to school and, you know, it's, it can be chaotic and, I, I think my advice right now would be to take take some deep breaths and hold on and really respond instead of react to a situation, to think it through and um, and give yourself some time and space to see if it's a, if it's something that's long term or if it's a short-term issue. Um, I think we could all use a little bit more of deep breathing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think that's great advice. And uh, don't make permanent solutions to temporary problems is something exactly. I tell people all the time. Absolutely. And I, I think that goes exactly with that. Brittany, this has been great talking to you. I know people can get in touch with you through uh, com, or they can follow you on uh, socials, uh, Brittany Wagner, I believe. And it, I look forward to seeing this book skyrocket and talking to you again in the future.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: that was great chatting with Brittany Wagner and hearing her philosophy on approaching life while hearing how she is also motivating others to be their best versions of themselves. So get out there and pre-order her book next chance you from all places where books are sold. So you can learn from her as well. Thanks again, Brittany for being on now a reminder voting ends on 18 September for the veteran podcast awards. So please head over and cast your vote for us. On HTTPS, www.veteranpodcastawards.com, backslash vote, and look for the Misfit Nation in three categories. Thank you. So, you know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on the Misfit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and the share link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this on. We appreciate you. So, as always, till next time. Be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling, because we are the Misfit Nation.